0: Welcome to the FedHeads, a weekly podcast from Grant Thornton Public Sector. Join the FedHeads, Robert Shea and Francis Rose, each week to talk about the arcana of government management and the people who are working hard every day to improve it.
1: Welcome to another episode of FedHeads. I'm Francis Rose.
2: And I'm Robert Shea.
1: No matter what happens on Election Day in November, there will be a transition of some sort. You trained me on this, it's been 10 or 15 years ago maybe longer, um, that this is going to happen regardless of who wins. I think that's a misconception, isn't it? I think a lot of people think that if President Trump's reelected, there's not really going to be a transition, but you've always told me that's not true.
2: That's right. If Vice President Biden is elected, there's a wholesale transition. If President Trump is reelected, it won't be as big a deal, but woe be the appointee who assumes... That he can he or she can continue comfortably in their seat. Oftentimes, a reelected president will take the opportunity to refresh their team and the programs they have in place to manage the government.
1: Our guest today is an expert in this area. She's written a number of books uh, about the way the White House works, and in particular, the way the transitions work. Um, the best so of those. Don't months-
2: forget. Don't don't forget one of her key qualities. What's that? Uh, uh, she's a camel. She's a what? Our 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 guest, our guest is a Connecticut College camel. She and I graduated from the same August institution, and it's uh, it's 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 one of the things that she and I share in common, my dear friend. So, sorry to interrupt.
1: No, sorry not at sure all, but I can't explain understand. to you how happy I am that <laughs> I was not the person that said Martha Joint Kumar is a camel, because I'm not sure yeah. that would go over really big.
0: <laughs> when I was in school, I just was embarrassed to tell anybody that our our mascot was a camel. <laughs>
1: Now, Martha.
2: now, dozens of our <laughs> listeners know it.
1: Yeah, it's delightful to talk to you, Martha. I the I was about to plug your book before My before the oath, how George W. Bush and Barack Obama managed a transfer of power. It's a terrific book, and I learned so much from that about the way that uh, transitions should work and how that one in particular worked. Welcome to the program. What are you watching as we prepare for? As Robert and I alluded to, either a kind of a soft transition maybe is what I would call what would happen if president Trump's reelected and, yeah. and a more hard transition if vice president Biden becomes uh, the president.
0: But at this point, I'm um, uh, watching what the government is doing and there, the transition legislation has certain requirements and it has a timeline of when certain things are supposed to happen. Like for example, three months Before the election, the um, president creates a White House Transition Coordinating Council that sets transition policy, and then um, there's also an Agency Transition Directors Council that implements the policy. It has representatives of the 15 departments and, and has five agencies involved in transition. Um, so I'm looking if they have, did they meet that, uh, deadline and, uh, those, um, both of those are formed. The agency transition director's council is the continuing body, although it shrinks in size and then comes back up again, but it has been meeting. It's met three times and, um, the white house transition coordinating council has as well. The pre-election transition, uh, legislation kicks in and it means that biden has space uh for his transition team it's in the commerce uh, department building and which they can use if they uh, if they want and they will have the G- gsa provides the uh space and the com- the computers and the uh, security for it, and they then they can begin doing things such as uh, putting in names of people that they might want to have working on their transition, and they can go to the Justice Department to the FBI for security clearances. So there is a lot of things that kick in then, um, and by the fifteenth of uh, September. The um, departments have to have the uh, the names of people, of career people who would take over from political appointees because a lot of times political appointees are going to leave before uh, the inauguration, and so you want to have that all set up. So I'm looking at the government part. Then I'm um, and all of that um, I, it has gone well. And I think, for example, um, the White House Transition uh, Coordinating Council, although it's a lower key operation that happened at the end of the Clinton, Bush, and Obama operations, those were eight years. Those were eight year presidencies. And so this Transition Coordinating Council is being created at the same time the president is running for re-election. And this is the first time that council has been created at this particular point. So one of the things I notice about it is that it has um, fewer outside people. It's, it's a smaller composition, and it mostly has people who are involved in process. It's, um, uh, like, for example, uh, personnel and counsel. Um, and it is co-chaired by Mark Meadows, the chief of staff, and his deputy for a policy policy, uh, coordination. Who is Chris Lydell? Lydell is not known to many people, but he's been um, a, a, an assistant to the president, um, t- with that title since the beginning of the administration. He's had a low, low, uh, kept a low profile, um, and he knows organizations well. He was a CFO of Microsoft and GM, and He brings transition experience. He was the executive director of uh, Romney's transition in um, uh, his pre-election transition effort in 2012. So he knows well how transition works and then how to coordinate. And then an additional thing I'm looking at is what are are the candidates talking about? What uh, do they say they're going to do in a second term? Uh, what kind of uh, policy agenda do they have? And that makes a really a big difference to the quality of the first months in office that a president has if they think through carefully what their agenda is. And in uh, Bush's case, for example, George W. Bush didn't have seventy eight days like this transition. He had thirty seven. But when he came in, he started right out on what his priorities were, because he had discussed them during his transition. I mean, during his campaign, he talked about um, education, military uh, buildup, and he had a few set items that were uh, big ones that, that he wanted to tackle. And they did them seriatim by week. So the first week was education, because he knew, since he came in without a plurality, that he would need to work with Democrats. So education was an issue they could work on. And so they thought through all of those kinds of things. And uh, he worked with George Miller in the House from the Education Committee and uh, Ted Kennedy in the in the Senate. So... Uh, Having a defined agenda is very helpful in the transition you're going to have because you can move swiftly from one to the other. However, one of the the unanticipated can uh, shake up what you have to deal with. As in Obama's case, um, he was thinking about a variety of issues, but when September came, the financial collapse was um, ascending and and then he had to spend all of his early months uh, working on it as a priority. And uh, so then they had to be shift and they, the operation that they had needed to be nimble enough to move from one to the other, from other issues that they might've wanted to, uh, to talk about to uh, focusing on the financial collapse and working with the Bush administration during that period on what could be done and what the issues
2: were. It's so good to have you because hopefully folks listening understand that you are the world's expert on this topic. It's also the first time Seriatum's been used on the show. It's a little highbrow for our audience. um, We may need a glossary.
1: I have my English to Latin, Latin to English app on my phone that I've used, so I I was able to look it up. Oh,
2: that's good. We're in the middle of a soup of crises, and it's hard to imagine if there's a transition that it'll be as amicable as the one you described. But also, you know, a lot of work has been invested in improving the transition, professionalizing the transition, yeah. increasing the lead time for presidents to get on the field, get their teams on the field. During the last transition, we saw all the work that had gone into preparation sort of tossed away, and the Trump administration started from scratch after the election. Yeah. Give me your, give us your impression of um, how things have improved over time as you've. Have you, as you've watched, have, has, have they genuinely gotten better? And is the investment in all of this worth it?
0: Yes, it definitely is because the stakes are so high. Think of some of the things that have uh, happened during a, a transition period and early in an administration that a president has to be prepared for. Uh, for example, when um, uh, George H.W. Bush was leaving and in uh, early December he uh, committed uh, U.S. troops as part of a um, U.N. Uh, humanitarian operation to deal with uh, starvation in Somalia. Uh, they uh, We sent uh, troops and, and that ended up being an entirely different uh, issue in the long run uh, where we were dealing with the um, Uh, with people who were trying to destroy our operation, and we lost, um, I think, around 44 uh, service people who were were sent uh, during that uh, first year. So something that came up with uh, one issue um, all of a sudden turned into something entirely different that the new president had to deal with. And you also had, um, very early on, the um, bombing of the World Trade Center the first bombing of the World Trade Center uh, happened early in uh, in Clinton's administration and so you have to be able to um, to act uh, very quickly well if you look back at um, transitions it uh, before 1963 which is the first legislation uh, before that they were uh, uh, funded by political parties and you know whatever a president wanted to do um, he could do some presidents provided information and and uh some did not one of those, and you you will appreciate this uh this anecdote one of those who was very concerned about what kind of information a new president would get was President Truman President Truman came into uh to office in uh, January twentieth, nineteen forty-five, and and Roosevelt died in April. And uh, during that time period, Truman did not know that there was a Manhattan Project uh, to create an atomic bomb, and he he was seared by that, and mm-hmm. knew that when he wanted to leave uh the um uh the white house that he would uh work on preparing uh, whoever was to take over so he decided in uh, the winter of 1952 that he wasn't going to run again Uh, so he had the bureau of the budget uh working on uh preparing information but he also wanted to go one step further. And in the summer, in August, once you had candidates, he he wrote uh, to Adlai Stevenson and uh, President Eisenhower. I think they, these were um, uh, telegrams that um, they shared with hmm. one another. Um, and he, he explained what he wanted to do. He said, I'll have uh, General Walter Bedell Smith and the Central Intelligence Agency, give you a complete briefing on the foreign situation. Then after that, um, they would meet with the cabinet for lunch, and, uh, and they would, you know, obviously Eisenhower and Stevenson wouldn't be there at the same time, and then the CIA would provide situation on uh, uh, on the, uh, the world situation, and they would do so on a weekly basis. Uh, We will have luncheon with the cabinet, and after that, if you like, I'll have my entire staff report to you on the situation in the White House, and then that way you will be entirely briefed on what takes place. So Eisenhower wrote him back and said, in my current position as standard bearer of the Republican Party and of other Americans who want to bring about a change in the national (laughs) government— Uh, meaning your administration. It is my duty to remain free to analyze publicly the policies and acts of the present administration, whether, whenever it appears to me to be proper in the country's interest. I believe our communication should be only those which are known to all the American people. Consequently, I think it would be unwise and result in confusion in the public mind if I were to attend the meeting in the White House to which you've invited me. Well, you can imagine wow. that Truman didn't like that. Yeah. yeah. So he he uh, responded quickly, um, and he wrote this following response. I am extremely sorry that you have allowed a bunch of screwballs to come between <laughs> us. <laughs> You have made a bad mistake, and I'm hoping it won't injure this great republic. Wow. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, since since you had uh, the Bureau of the Budget uh, working on it, it uh, didn't injure the great republic. But, but among the things that it shows is you can have contention at the top, at the leadership level, but you still are going to have uh, work that is done uh, by career people. That, uh, that is going to uh, to fill the, the needed gap, the gap that's there that uh, requires information to be passed to a new administration.
1: For a haberdasher from Missouri, <laughs> he could turn a phrase. Boy, that was... That's,
0: <laughs> he sure that's... could, yeah. Imagine if he had Twitter. At the time, too, <laughs>
1: yeah. Ike was like a national hero. In 1952, it was only six years since he basically beat the Nazis. I mean, that's how the yeah. world thought of him at that time. He was the guy who beat the Nazis. And and he, yeah. here's Harry Truman. He doesn't care. He's just going to tell them what he thinks. <laughs> yeah. Screwballs. That's, that's beautiful.
2: Right. <laughs> yeah.
1: Martha, yeah. we're starting to run out of time, but I'm wondering if, if you're us, if you're kind of amateur observers like we are now, What should we be following in news reports about what's going on regarding the transition that would give us insight leading up to Election Day, what each side is doing? Obviously, uh, Vice President Biden is building a team in case he takes over. But as we talked about at the very beginning, Robert's been coaching me up for a long time. There'll be that soft transition that I alluded to. And I wonder what you think we should keep an eye on regarding that.
2: Speak for yourself, Uh, amateur.
0: I think it's um, at uh, this point, see what kind of transition operation uh, uh, the, um, the Biden people are building and then see what the government is doing. Um, are they meeting um, all of those uh, deadlines? And what do we know about the Agency Transition Directors Council and also about the White House Transition Coordinating uh, Council, what, uh, what they are doing? But I would look to for uh, what kind of agendas the two candidates have. Are they going to be able to move from a campaign where they have talked about what it is they want to do um, and into a, um, into a program uh, that it will easily move into a program. Look for the people who are uh, working on uh, transitions, and um, I think you'll uh, find that a lot of the people that have worked on a campaign at some point or another are going to come into the White House. But look for the key people that Biden has had in the past, because Biden tends to have a loyal group of people that have uh, worked for him uh, for years, uh, like uh, Ted Kaufman is the person running the transition and he is the person who would, when he was a senator um, uh, filling out the Biden seat, he focused on transition. And uh, transition, uh, the last large bill, was named after him. So he is a pro, and uh, Chris Lidell, I think, uh, uh, is as well. But one of the things you can anticipate is a lot of turnover if, um, if Trump were to... Um, to win, then I think if you look back on previous administrations, you see that there's a quick turnover of, um, of cabinet secretaries. Uh, so for example, in, um, uh, in Clinton's case, um, he changed a uh, seven of, um, of, uh, 10 of his, um, cabinet members, four of them, there were 14 total, and four of them stayed to the end of the administration, which is highly unusual. But um, of the remaining 10, seven of those changed in December of of 1996. So that's, you know, one month after the election, here he is changing his uh, cabinet. And I think that's the, the kind of change that you could expect, because in this administration, People are tired (laughs) and uh, they've had, uh, you know, you have to work the same hours in a way that a president does. And if the president is, you know, tweeting at 1 a.m., you have to know that you have to follow it. Same with reporters who are following. So people are um, have uh, have run out of gas. So you're going to have a lot of changeovers in the White House and also in uh, in the cabinet.
1: Martha, join Kumar. You're the expert on all this stuff, so we're really grateful that you spent some time with us today talking about it.
0: Oh, I enjoy talking to you both.
1: And I I knew a lot about your career, and I did not know that you were a camel before today, so I learned something new every day.
0: Right, I
1: know. Wonderful. Thank (laughs) you very much for doing it. Okay. thank you.
0: Thanks. Thanks for listening to The Fed Heads, brought to you by Grant Thornton Public Sector.